we're live. We're live. <laughs> but yeah, man, appreciate you, appreciate you making some time and uh, you know, on this early Monday morning. <laughs> of course. Good thing I'm on the East Coast right now. Yeah, we we got a couple people lined up for the West Coast, and they're like, you know, we had to preface that. We're like, yeah, can you can you do eight a.m.? They're like, yeah, yeah, I can make it happen. <laughs> we had somebody booked for like the day after Coachella. Then we're like, ah, oh, yeah, we might need to switch that yeah, one around. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been so, to Coachella actually. Yeah, me either. Me either. Uh, definitely a, a bucket list for for sure. But I imagine you guys will be out there pretty soon. Next year is the plan, so nice. let's, let's see, let's see. I mean, I think you guys are pretty on track for that. Fingers crossed. Yeah, man, yeah. So, so yeah, I uh, appreciate everybody that's starting to tune in. Um, to, today, uh, uh, Doug is here. He, he was able to, to make some time for us, so super appreciative of that. Um, again, everybody just listening in, this is the Monday Morning Manager podcast. We're here live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Uh, on the East Coast. Uh, we get some West Coast stragglers, uh, so so appreciate you guys waking up early or, or listening later on. But um, but yeah, we're here every week. So you know the goal again, the goal of these podcasts, these episodes, is really just to um, you know kind of speak with people that are moving and shaking within the industry, you know, on the managerial front. But also, you know, the focus is to be a how-to resource, you know, to to really provide some games, some insight, um, some actionable steps uh, for you guys to take in in your careers. So again, appreciate everything everybody tuning in uh we're here every week so tell a friend to tell a friend and uh yeah again again doug really appreciate you taking the time man glad to be here yeah man so so yeah let, let, let's just jump right into things um you know as people start to file in here um let, let's just kind of start right at the top i mean you've definitely had um a really uh, a dope uh intro to your kind of career so far over the last 10 years or so uh you know from you working as you know, you being an artist yourself with, with the group, uh, you know, back in high school and early college days to, to now, you know, to then working with Kids Super and, and to working with Lola. So, yeah, man, just tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of how, you know, you got your start in music and, and why you chose this path. Um, yeah. So, as you mentioned, I guess, like, just speeding ahead to when I was 16 or 17, um, I was playing baseball my whole life. Um like, you know, aspirations of going pro and um, playing at a high level. And that was really what took up all of my, I guess, extracurricular time. And then I just had this moment my senior year of high school um, where I like, I, I think I got mono and then I got hit in the head with a pitch. And I had this weird like two or three week period where I was just not playing. Um, and during that time is when I first started i'd always been into writing and, and you know creative writing and like humor and all this but it was the first time i really like just kind of randomly started songwriting and just putting things in verses and whatnot and i did that and i had a really good friend since growing up um jesse fink who you know is also a active songwriter right now who was producing like on logic you know it was the only kid i knew that was doing that and um I just brought this to him and I was like, Hey, I, you know, I wrote these songs. You want to produce them? And he said, yeah. And then we put them online and one thing led to another. And someone we knew, knew someone at good music all day who, um, Becky, uh, 
Becky Bolton, for anyone who knows her. Yeah, she was the first blow. She put us on good music all day. Um, and that, you know, this was like 2010, 2011. Uh, blogs were really important and kind of shaping what people were listening to. Um, so it was one of those things where it's like, you know, you get a placement on on this and boom, you know, there's an audience. Um, and from there, it was kind of like, all right, people are listening. And it was this moment where I was like, all right, we just made this thing in, you know, we recorded it in our friend's closet who had a mic set up and people were listening. And it was like, oh, wow, you know, you could do this. Anyone could do this. Um, so that was my first experience with realizing, like, I guess the barrier to entry was that, you know, <laughs> we, we crossed that barrier. Um, so it kind of felt like, things were in motion already. Um, so that was like my first lesson. And all right, you know, anyone could could get started. Um, and then from there, you know, it was definitely a moment in time that that genre of music, um, frat rap, as people would call it, backpack rap, snapback stuff, tank tops, you know. Um, and that lasted for like, you know, a year or two years. But you know, we had a booking agent, we got shows booked, we were making some money, like, it was just a cool experience to be like, all right, we just recorded these songs in a closet. And now, you know, we're in Massachusetts playing to an all girls college with the Dean's list. Like, you know, what is going on? Um, so that was my first start into like, you know, the business of music up until that point, I'd always, you know, music was a huge part of my life as a listener. Um, but again, baseball was like, all right, my, my thoughts were I'm going to try and, you know, play competitive baseball growing up. So I went to college, you know, to play baseball and as the scale started shifting, as I got there and it was like, all right, music and creating and like being online and in this like blog world, um, just started to be more interesting to me. And I, you know, I was division three and like. I, I kind of gotten to the point where I was like, I'm not going pro. This this isn't a way for me to make a life. So yeah. So then I just had the switch. Um and you know, two or three years into that, um, is when I moved from, all right, I'm not actually gonna be a frat rapper. Um so but I love music. Um and I found, you know, I came across Chance the Rapper um early on. And that's when things shifted for me of like, I'm an artist to I'm just like an artist, I guess, champion. Um, so it really started as like a fan situation and just following Chance the Rapper as like somewhat felt somewhat in the same world that I was in. Um, and seeing him progress and like watching his rise from 10 day. Um, and just how he moved around and like seeing just the buzz grow and grow and grow and then acid rap like really just bursting the doors open um, that really excited me and made me want to be a part of a journey like that and you know that was my sophomore junior year of high school um, and then I had this situation where my high school had APs um, so I had realized junior year of college that I had basically enough credits for a full semester. So rather than graduating one semester early, I decided to take, I grew up in New York city. So I decided to take a leave of absence for my senior fall 
live at home in New York, which is super convenient. And I enrolled at a Clive Davis NYU School of Music for one semester, just as like basically a study abroad, but like living at my parents' house. Um, so from there, you know, I was just networking around, spending a lot of time outside of the classroom, moving around this guy, Larry Mastel, who's one of the founders of Primary Wave. His daughter was on the same soccer team as my younger sister. Um, chatted him up a bit. He was like, come in for an interview to intern. Went in there, like immediately connected with this guy, Zev. We hit it off. I was like, I guess I'm an intern here now. Started going in every day. Then through Clive Davis, um, they were promoting internships for Columbia Records, Walking Eye, A&R program. Um, so I was, you know, went in for an interview for that. And the guy, one of the guys running it, Andrew Keller, who I'm still close with today, another guy from the Upper West Side, saw my resume. I, it must have had Upper West somewhere <laughs> on there. Um, and he just hired me on the spot just because we grew up in the same area. Um, so that was like, you know, boom, I had two internships in the music industry, pretty fortunately. And then beyond that, I knew a guy who knew someone at the Fader who they were involved at the Converse Rubber Track Studio in Williamsburg. Um, and at that time, I was really interested in like learning about recording, producing, Logic Pro Tools. I was studying that a bit at Clive Davis, and they gave me a job as a like studio assistant. Um, so my week was basically do a few classes at Clive Davis, but mostly after school, I would go to Primary Wave and I would go to Columbia Records. And then like on some off days, I would just spend hours at the Rubber Track Studio in Brooklyn. And like, you know, it all snowballed from there, just working the building, going around, meeting people. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, that, that, that's that's a hell of an intro, hell of a hell of a start too. I mean, to be able to get those those things early on, and, and to be like, what I think was super important about that time, uh, you know, just from an outsider's perspective, is just is just that you had more than one thing going, right? And you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm just gonna put all my eggs into this one like Columbia Records basket because like, you, you never know. You know, and um, I think, and you had them at different different spots too, right? All kind of different facets of the business. Like one's an A and R at Columbia. Another one is at a studio where you're kind of learning the ins and outs, seeing people coming in and out of the studio. And then Primary Wave is, you know, they're kind of like a label but a publisher, but like right. all of that kind of kind of mixed in there. So yeah, right. I mean, I think that that kind of set the tone. You know, kind of um, it sounds like that that whole experience, those few years, really set the tone for for where you're at today, which I think is really dope. The other thing I wanted to talk about too is that you had mentioned um you know on our intro call too you had mentioned you know you were talking with um or, or you, you know from an artistic standpoint you got to a point where you were like yo you know i don't think i can be the best of the best you, you know you talked about a second ago there too with chance the rapper kind of once you heard that you were like yo I think I'd rather be on the business side of things, right. finding great artists because you have a great ear, you know it sounds good, but you'd rather kind of work behind the scenes. And then, well, I didn't, I didn't just, I didn't really think of it as like the business side. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think that's important too. Like, it was more so just like this idea. It's the same idea of like if you mm -hmm. go for it, it's possible. It's within mm -hmm. reach. 
and my I was just more passionate about the music I was hearing from like a select few of artists, like Chance the Rapper yeah. as an example. I was more passionate about his music at that time than I was about my own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I think yeah. that, that right there is that that's a huge point, right? To be able to like have that self awareness. Right, right then in that moment, be like, oh, okay, you know what? Yeah, this shit is fire. And then I, I, I go and like, listen to mine. I'm like, all right, this is cool. Right, right, right. You know? It's like, it's not right, but I can't. Yeah. I mean, and and, yeah. and I again, credit to you for that because that, that um, like I said, that takes some like self-awareness um, and it helps. It helped you, you know, kind of go down that this other path, you know, which I wanted to talk about for a second, which was, you know, that kind of led you to, you know, your meeting with um, your early meetings and reaching out to, to Russ, right? Like way before anybody knew him, like you talking early, early, early days. And I think it's important to bring that up because of, you know, I think what he has been able to do is very, you know, kind of like legendary, right? And you were oh, yeah. at the genesis of that that moment of like, yo, we're just gonna steady put out music and just be really, really consistent with it, and 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 then start to just build upon that. So, yeah, I was just kind of curious, um, you know, what one of your favorite memories from like those those early days of working with Russ and and you know, you guys really coming up with the idea to be like, no, we're just gonna keep hitting them with like consistent material like all the time. Like that's our that's our well, thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, shout out to Russ, you know, one of a kind human for sure. Um, it was more so, you know, I wasn't like, hey, let's put out a song every week type of thing. You know, Russ is very much um, in charge of his own world. Yep. And he's just one of the most like prolific artists maybe ever. Um, you know, when I, when I, discovered russ he had already put out like 11 albums or something you know something crazy like that and that's i think one of the the beauties about his mentality and his approach is like he's very much like this is done and it's coming out and i'm not you know gonna tweak it or go back and like over do something and try and make it perfect like his idea of something done is like he's very good at just putting his foot down and saying this is done so he had so much music um, and Russ talks about it too. It's like he was putting out, like I said, you know, albums on albums and albums and these bodies of works. And, you know, no one was really listening. He probably had a few hundred fans at the time. And I think it was one of those like trial and error stuff where he's like, all right, you know, this approach isn't working. But, but I, you know, if I just put out music every single week rather than giving someone 30 minutes to try to like beg for 30 minutes of attention. I'm giving two to three minutes every week, like people can live with that. Um, so that was like the mind um, switch there. And, you know, obviously the hardest part is making great music. Um, and he had that. And that's something that I noticed early on. And just over time, it was like once the actual, you know, method of delivery was on point, it gave way to people to discover how good the music actually was because you know in this time especially now compared to you know 2014 or 15 it's like attention and getting people's attention and there's just so much all the time oh, like, yeah <laughs> that that's really i think like the biggest obstacle is like how do you get anyone to care at all like like literally anyone yeah um, for any amount of time too right especially like, if you're not you know russ didn't have cosines or he didn't have like ins and he wasn't homies with anyone in the industry so 
it was like, how do you get a bunch of people to listen to you without like having that platform already? So it just became this like nonstop, you know, he had all these, like some of the songs that went off, you know, he had sent them to me months prior. Um, and it just felt it fit into like, all right, this week is going to be young God, for example. Um, and boom, numbers just going up and up. And that's like that, that journey was crazy. Um, and you know how it started was I was at primary wave part of my job, which is like a and R interns or whatnot. If anyone is, has done that, a lot of it is like, Hey, go find music. Um, and let me know what you think, or like pitch us on some artists. Um, and that, you know, I was like, Oh, cool. Like that's a job. Um, but then, you know, I quickly realized that as the intern, like no one's really, no one's like actually thinking about yep. what you're saying. Like, yep. they're like, all right, cool, cool. Like you found this, but I didn't find this. So like, thanks for sending. Um, and I was like noticing through primary wave and Columbia that if I wanted to be involved with something, I had to just, you know, do it myself. Um, which, you know, ironically is a, that's a rough song. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I just reached out to Russ and I, I, initially it was like, Hey, I'm an intern at primary wave. Like would love to chat about your career. Um, and he just hit me back right away. And that kind of turned into like, how can I help turn into just hours on the phone, turned into him flying from Atlanta to New York where, you know, I linked him up with Kid Super, who's like one of my day one um, best friends in the city. And he ended up moving into the Kid Super building for like six months and just working out the recording studio and met Foda as well, who's like the lead digital web designer guy at Kid Super. And Foda's actually the guy who designed all the single artworks mm-hmm. and came up with that logo um, with the color scheme concept. And it was just like right place, right time type of situation where everyone came together and then you know, the snowball started, um, and it really hasn't stopped since then. Yeah, man, that's, that's, yeah, that, that's crazy. I mean, he's, he's on that run and it seems like it's, there's still a, a solid runway to go after. Oh, it's not like oh, yeah. hit it and like, what's he going to do next? Um, so, so yeah, man, that, that's an amazing story. I think, you know, a bunch of those, a bunch of those takeaways within there. Um, or I think there are a bunch of takeaways. One of the biggest takeaways I think is probably just the fact of, like you said, going out there Two, actually two things, one going out there and reaching, you know, cold DMing somebody, right. Just cause you like their stuff and trying to strike up a conversation. I think that's important for people to, to understand and, and, and see where it works for them in their own lives or careers. And the second part, and we talked about this on our intro call too, is the simple fact that you said, you know, how can I help? How can I help? You're not like, oh, great. You know, you're a dope artist, but you know, if you listen to me and you do X, Y, and Z, you'll be better. Right. And a lot of people starting out or that, you know, have been in the business for a couple of years that are looking at, you know, some younger talent, that's kind of how they think. And that I think in the long run is only a detriment to themselves because at the end of the day, the manager artist relationship is really like a partnership and you spend so much time with one another that it has to be like, how can I help? 
you know, it has to be in service of, of something, right? Because hopefully that artist is doing the same thing. They're trying to be in service to, you know, their fans. And if, you know, we start with that point of giving, if we start from that point, you know, then it puts everybody in a much better situation, right? Because now you're trying to give your best all the time to other people. And, and that when that stuff starts to reciprocate, that's when you see those great moments like you're having in, in your life and your career. And then, you know, the same thing with Russ. Yeah. And I, another thing also from that is like, you know, starting out before you have, you know, fan base and people asking you, where's the new music? Like no one remembers the songs mm. that didn't go off. Mm. Um, and I think that was a big like lesson learned is like, no one was waiting on Russ's music. So he was just putting stuff out just all go. the time. And, you know, if one out of 30 songs goes crazy, like, that's the song, you know? Right. Well, people, two, two things, two yeah, things within that too. Listen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, That's what I was going to say. People go yeah. back and they'll listen to that stuff. My bad. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was getting amped up because uh, a thing I always tell people too, is that, you know, when you're just starting out, the majority of your fans have no idea who you are. Right. <laughs> so don't get so caught up in like, Oh my God, this thing has to be like, no one's listening. Right. Just go. It's about like creating that system and that rhythm to get your shots up, to then get comfortable, to then build momentum. And just like you said, when one hits, they'll go back and listen to the other stuff. Exactly. But if you're waiting for that perfect moment and you only have one song that you put out and you erase everything else, you're that guy, that girl, that artist for that one song. And then you're just in that box and that's it. There's no story to tell. There's nothing for people to go and double check and look back. They only want that and only that and more of that. And then at the end of the day, you know, it, it's hard to live up to that. Exactly. And I, and like another lesson from that time, which like, again, shout out to Russ in this, like, you know, he would, his whole life was getting on. Um, so he, you know, he would look and see where people were listening. And like his first show ever, I think was in some like, random town in washington i don't even remember the name just because some facebook group started and like people were like bring russ to you know i don't remember the town and he was like all right let's go do a show there so it's like go to where your fans are you know um like and again this i guess speaking more to aspiring artists but also to managers and booking agents and anyone it's like you know don't try and force the narrative and force like this is where i want to pop up like go to where people are actually excited about and consuming your music because that's where it starts and then one thing leads to another but like you know super serve that community yeah because they'll always be there yep exactly and it will morph it'll change like you can't be so dead set um this is the thing that i wanted to you know because it, it it rarely works like that rarely does but, well, um, yeah, man, we spent a ton of time talking about, I, I knew, I knew this was going to happen after our intro call. I was like, we're going to have a good conversation. We're going to go way off script. And I was okay, like, okay. Well, I'm really bad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for it. Cause I was like, oh, these are just great stories and great insights. Um, but yeah, one of the big focuses that we wanted to talk to you about today was really, you know, starting to think about how to develop artists, um, careers outside of just music. And I think the conversation we've had up to this point kind of really set the groundwork for that. Right. Um, because we kind of talked about, 
especially in the last few minutes, like everything aside from music, you know what I mean? It was like just mentalities and thought processes, you know, to, to kind of put yourself in the best position. Um, now, you know, what you're doing in, in, in your day-to-day management stuff with uh, Lolo, things are really starting to broaden outside of just music, right? You guys are really tapping into fashion, um, you know, from working with Dior and Tommy Hilfiger to Nike, Reebok, Adidas, Vogue, you know, and, and of course, Kid Super. So can you take us a little bit behind the scenes and into what kind of planning takes place when, you know, you're trying to work with an artist who is so focused on, on uh, fashion. Yeah. Um, and maybe focused isn't the right word, but just as, as a, uh, it's like a core element. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, and with the story of kid super, which is, you know, a separate discussion, but fashion and particularly you want to call it streetwear, high fashion, whatnot is so intertwined with music um style is such like a huge element to it um you know the the growth of like this the famous stylist you know that now all this stuff like um so knowing kind of who you're working with and you know lola when i first started working with her that she was just a stylish person um it was just an element to her artist's proposition or whatever um so it, it was natural, which I think is also a huge component to it. Um, and then, you know, agencies, you know, very early on, um, Lolo signed with Paradigm, which now Wasserman, um, Zach Bluestone and Matt Adler over there, who you know I've known for years. Um, and there's a side to agencies that maybe some people don't know that's also like a branding division. Um, so a booking agent is just one part, usually of a larger agency that has other divisions that aren't just, you know, booking shows and going out and finding live gigs. Um, so early on having those discussions with people in the branding divisions from those agencies, um, saying, you know, these are the brands that we like, this is like the dream scenario. Um, and just giving people like uh, a game plan with here are the brands that we would love to work with in any capacity. Um, so there's, there's the active approach to it. And then as someone, you know, their profile begins to rise and their music gets more play, you know, people start reaching out. So it was like a mix of manifesting the best, you know, these are the brands that we want to work with. And then also fielding requests and being like, this fits, this doesn't fit, um, et cetera. And, and one thing, you know, one brand opportunity or, you know, I remember through Kid Super, we were doing something with Converse and that led to Lolo getting like a Converse check for posting online. Um, and that money allowed her to like, you know, quit the job she was working at and focus on music. And that was like another moment where it's like, all right, this is a, a really um, important revenue stream to focus on. Um, so it's a mix of writing down, you know, dream brands, and then also fielding requests, should you be fortunate enough to get any. Um, and Lolo was just at the point where, you know, people were starting to reach out, people were noticing her as someone who has, you know, is forward thinking in style and is fashionable. And like, if this person wears my stuff, people are going to think that it's cool. 
Um, and you know, there's an extreme value to that. So leaning into it. And then another huge thing that, um, I've made it like a really big point in what I do is like, once you work with these brands and, you know, even if it's just a little social post here and there, or like, you know, MM6, for example, Mason Margiela, um, offset Lolo attended a London fashion week show for them two or three years ago. And I just met one of the women working in publicity there through like, she was the one taking us through the exhibit. Um, and from that point, you know, I got her contact and I just always kept her in the loop of what was happening in Lolo's career. Um, completely unrelated to like, Hey, can we have clothes for this? Or, you know, do you have money for this or whatnot? Just, and this goes for any of the brands that we've worked with in the past, keeping them in the loop beyond just that, like one day on set, you might be with them or that one time walking through an exhibit because you never know when either that person, a switches jobs to a more, you know, prominent position that they can actually give you an opportunity or they're looking for someone at the time that's like, hey, this person's, you know, I know everything going on with Lolo and this would be perfect right now. So keeping those relationships going beyond just that one work interaction, um, I think is so important. Uh, well said, man. There's a great book out there called uh, Never Eat Alone by uh, Keith uh, Ferrazzi, I believe. Um, I read it a while back, and it just hits on all of those things. It's really about how to build relationships uh, with people. And, and to, to be honest, what you're talking about there, I, I want to hit on that because I'm big on it too, but that that that's real work. It takes real work to be able to you know look at your list of contacts, right, and try and figure out ways to have multiple touch points with them so you're not just like yo we need to check right you're only showing up when you need something right that relationship in any facet of anyone's life is not going to work out in the long run right because at some point that other person's gonna be like yo you keep just asking for stuff like right. what value are you really providing um that being, you know, on the, flip, the one flip side to that is the one caveat is that, like, if you know that you're bringing value to the table, right, if you're really coming strong and it's an easy yes for the other person and it's a win-win for the other person, then I think it's okay to reach out. You know, if it's like, hey, we have X, Y, and Z already lined up, like, this, I know what you guys are working on, so, uh, you know, again, this is the win-win, then that's just you trying to, you know, add value, right? You're not taking anything. Um, you're paying attention to what other people are doing and figuring out like where you and what you're working on can work with what they have going. And also like remembering that, you know, music is at the core of it. If you're working with a musician or an artist, yep. like an example of that is, you know, one of the first campaigns Lolo ever did for Tommy jeans, um, that like Tommy Hilfiger was like a dream company for Lolo early on in her career. And fortunately that just came in. We didn't necessarily go out. Um, but it was part of this campaign and <clears throat> at the time and still now Lolo had this song out called blue. Um, and it was a denim jeans campaign. And, you know, I was like, Hey, can we also use her song blue in this video of her? Cause it like fits perfectly. And they said, yes. So that was like just the way to one it brings more exposure to the music <clears throat> and two 
you know, there's a licensing component as well to music. So at that time, we, you know, we have full ownership over that song. So that was just extra money as well from the campaign. Yep. And, and yeah, adding that, <laughs> and, and again, that's the win, 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 right? It works for, for you guys, right? It works for the brand because they need some music. And then it also works for the fans because it brings it, just like you said, it, the anchor is in the music. So it's like when they see the video, they're like, wait, what's the song? You know what I mean? And it, and it brings it full circle to, to what people should be focusing on. It's like, yeah, the, the, the brand play is cool, but it is about the music, right? Um, so, so that's dope. Um, uh, one of the things um, you guys just recently finished up with, was, uh, you know, something major, obviously, uh, just coming off tour with, with Dua Lipa, something that you guys were supposed to do two years ago, right? Uh, pandemic kind of shut all that stuff down. Um, but talk, us, t- talk to us a little bit about, you know, kind of that experience. Um, obviously, Dua is at, you know, the, one of the highest levels, if not the highest level, you know, of, of her music career right now. And, you know, she also is very much so into fashion and, and does a lot of things in that space too. So, you know, did, how did that, um, how did that play out with, with you guys being on tour with somebody like, was it just a great natural fit that it was like, Oh, you know, we kind of see all these similarities with, with one another. And then, you know, for you, did you also have to make sure that you were coming correct to every show being like, okay, I mean, naturally, (laughs) naturally. Um, I mean, the do a tour, like, you know, we, got asked about that in November, 2019, mm. just for context of like how yeah. long in the coming that was. Um, and it wasn't, I mean, it was insane. Um, seeing that show every night, you know, do basically never missing a beat for any shows, um, mm. packed arenas, every single show. Like it was, it was insane. Um, but you know, doing the, the show now versus if we were to originally do it when it was scheduled April 2020, it was a much different setup. You know, originally it was supposed to be just the UK and Europe um, starting with DJ, then Lolo, then Dua. Um, and throughout the two or three years since like everything stopped and started and stopped and started and dates moved and everything you know it became a u.s north america tour um there was another direct support added in caroline Polichek. um and perhaps the biggest thing was like originally it was supposed to be the last of the cycle for lolo's debut album ha-ha's to lolo's which came out in 2019 but you know years had passed um Lolo took kind of a step back from working so much um, in the studio and just like, you know, the pandemic and getting her time right. And yeah, life. (laughs) So, so it became, you know, a different show. And also for Dua, like that tour was announced before Future Nostalgia like ever came out. Um, So obviously that was, if not the biggest, one of the biggest albums of the past few years um, just hits on hits, you know, she was already massive cause she was already doing these rooms, but I think that also changed the show a bit as well. So the experience was wild, you know, for at least do a show, like everyone knew every song. Um, but for Lolo going out there kind of when, you know, even in these huge rooms or especially in these huge rooms, even if there's like 
a few thousand people there, it still feels kind of empty and you're still also very far away from the audience mm -hmm. unless you're the people like in the pit and GA. But people in the 200s, 300s, like you are just a dot on a stage um, of someone that they've never heard of and they didn't buy a ticket to see you. They don't know your music. Like it's a live version of it. So it's, it's not like they're just hearing it on a playlist for the first time. So there's definitely that uphill battle every night for an opener, really at any level. But I think in an arena, um, especially because of how far removed you are from the audience, it's like maybe even a little harder on that big stage. So like Lolo, shout out to her. Um, it takes a lot to go out there and like perform your show, not getting that type of energy that you would normally get in one you know, a headline performance or two, just a more intimate setting. So being able to just like perform at the, at your best in that scenario, I think, you know, all praise to Lolo and the band for doing that. Um, and then like seeing it, it's just one of those things where it's like seeing is believing, right? Like mm. every single night you watch Dooley, but, do a sold out arena show to her music. So like, how can you tell me this that level is not possible? Yeah, yeah. I, I saw it right in front of me so many times. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was like, and for Lolo too, like that's just a huge takeaway of like, it's right there. Yeah, you know, I, um, I, and, and I think yeah. that goes into uh, the, the attainability piece goes into what she had to do every night to your point it was like you have to come with all the energy that you want in the world that you want from your fans right we talked about being in service of things before it's like on that tour it sounded like she was really she had to be kind of in service to herself in service to the band in service to the music to be like hey the, these are the emotions that i'm trying to evoke and you have to bring that every night and it is hard as hell when you're in a room where like no one's paying attention right and you feel right. that energy it's like people are just getting to their seat they're like who's that there's a lot of commotions people talking you're like yo, pay attention to me. Well, at the end of the day, like that's up to the artist to do that. So can you do that? How do you do right. that? Those are those big questions. And and I really appreciate you talking about that point in particular because um, a lot of artists don't think about that. They're just like, yo, I want to be an opener on a really big tour. It's like, yeah, that's hard. It's very hard to do from a logistics standpoint, but from like an energy and a personal standpoint and not even, you know, forget the hot, forget the arenas for a minute. Like it's, if you're just starting out, you're probably gonna be playing clubs and some small theaters and stuff like that, you know, so you're going like 200 to like maybe a thousand cap rooms kind of in that that ballpark, maybe 2500, like, that's still hard, you know, and it's it's very important to understand going in that it's going to be work. So to tie it back all together to, to what, I, you know, the main point I want to hit on was just that, you know, the attainability piece, it's like, oh, it's right there. I just need to keep working at it, right? I have right. to keep doing what I'm doing. Exactly, exactly. And then, like on the, on the fashion side, which I, I know you want to touch on, like yeah, yeah. Lolo was like, you know, I want a new look for every show. Yeah. Um, so that took planning, um, creativity. You know, we had two main breaks during the tour um, in New York and LA. So those were times we planned all right, re re up on outfits for that time. Yeah. Um, and then shout out Ben, uh, Lola Stylist for this tour, 
who like really helped pull looks together. And then it's like, you know, not every, we didn't have a PDF where like, here's the look for every show planned out. And it's like, here's all the stuff, here are all the ingredients, you know, go and, and make the final product right before you get on stage. And that was definitely a stress point um, where like as an opener without being able to really bring a stylist on the road, we didn't have a wardrobe room or anything like that. You know, it was difficult and stressful, but at the end of the day, the show goes on. Um, She pulled it off every night, and, you know, that was a a challenge, but um, I I mean, noticeably, like, successful. Yeah, and those are those moments that you'll look back on, like, when you're older, when you have those, those, uh, you know, all the things that you need to pull those things off seamlessly, you'll think about that, like... Yo, that was actually kind of fun. This shit was yeah. crazy, but yeah. it was fun. Remember when we had to like bring trunks ourselves and like I'm sure you were running shit back and forth, and throwing was, stuff together and it was like going into from the bus to the venue with like four suitcases every day. <laughs> yeah. And then always, always before the show, there would be one thing left on the bus. Yep. No matter what. <laughs> I would just have to run back and grab, no matter what. So so yeah. That yeah. was fun. <laughs> uh, I love that. I love that. Um, again, so, you know, appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, what we're talking about with Doug here today is just, uh, you know, ways to develop artists outside of music. We've been talking about um, a lot of fashion stuff with, with his artist Lolo. Um, one of the other things that, that I wanted to hit on, too, and this kind of goes back to, like, you know, uh, your your early interning days at Primary Wave, but you guys have been able to, to get some pretty cool sync placements for Lolo. Um, so, yeah, talk to us a little bit about kind of like your strategy for for pitching sync you know you guys had a record that was in uh the hbo show euphoria so curious to see how how things spiked with that and then also um you know you guys have done stuff with uh with her as well um I, i'm still down so curious how you know kind of all those you know how, how this how you guys are approaching sync how you guys are approaching collaborations for writing and, and working with other artists to um you know as revenue streams and that is and to be honest i guess creative outlets too right I, it's very similar to you know brand partnerships in a way i think it's like finding shows let's say that you think would be a good fit finding out who is in charge of putting the music in those shows and then reaching out to them um and like euphoria for example real quick on that quick quick hitter for you do you have like a document that you've like built out that's like hey here all the yeah Yeah. i want to hit on that because again these are these like you know actionable tools so for anybody listening like open up google docs create an excel worksheet in there um and and start listing things out but yeah yeah well like Exactly. That's important. Just keeping that Rolodex yeah, um, but... with little notes on, you know, what they do and, you know, what the relationship has been in the past. But similar to brand partnerships, like people are searching for ideas all the time. I think people think like there's, you know, a brand like a Reebok or a Nike, like they have these campaign ideas years out, which sometimes they do, but everyone's open to a good idea. Um, so presenting something that, you know, euphoria, as an example, there was this song called chain. Um, well, originally it was called hold me down, but it was started a few years ago. Um, Lolo and Stelios, I think started in London or something. And RCA who we signed to for the world, except France, 
they were working on the soundtrack to this new show that Drake was executive producing and, you know, HBO. And while we were, you know, finalizing our deal with them, they were bringing that up. Um, so to me, I was like, all right, this is a key point. I want Lolo's music in that show. Um, it wasn't like in the deal or anything like that, but it was just something that I knew they wanted to do something for Lolo in that regard, like for the deal. So I was like, all right, Stelios and Lolo aren't like dying to get this song out, but I, uh, you know, maybe selfishly was like, I know this song is amazing. So I was like, send this song to the show. Um, I think it would be a perfect fit. It's not currently attached to any release or project or anything, but like if they want the song, it'll force them to finish it and put it out and like win-win. And thankfully, you know, Sam Levinson, the creator, heard it um, and was like, this is great. This is perfect. Um, so then we had to work backwards to finish the song in order to get it on the show. Um, and ironically, the version that's in the show is actually the demo version that um, we sent originally and not the final version that you hear now on DSPs or just out in the world called Chain. So that was one of those things where it's like, if you have an idea, you know, what's the worst that could happen? They say no, and then you're in the exact same position yep. that you're in now. Um, and because of, you know, obviously the crazy success of that show, the soundtrack, and, you know, it's a huge part of it, that has, like, people follow that soundtrack. And even with the second season where Lolo's music isn't in it, people still go back and they're always discovering it. So we did see a spike um, when it was first out. We saw a spike when the new season dropped because people were going back and listening to the old one. And then also going back to just keeping people in the loop, like the show aired in July or something, I think with the demo, but the song wasn't out yet, which as a manager, like I wish that it was, um, yeah. but it just wasn't, you know, I couldn't force it to come out. So we ended up putting it on the deluxe version of her album at the end in December, 2019. So four months after the show, right? But what I did was I sent the demo to Shazam and just like had them put it in their system so people could still find it, even though they wouldn't go and be able to stream it, they'd still be able to see Lolo Zui if they Shazam that song. And then when it did come out, made sure to reach out to any of the Euphoria people that we worked with in getting it done so they would know, hey, this song is out. And that ended up in like, you know, the Euphoria official channels tweeting and posting like this song from season one is out and like reaching out to the fan playlist for that show and being like, hey, this song is out now. Um, and, you know, just re-engaging those people to make sure that even though it didn't come out perfectly on time, we were still able to capture momentum from that platform in order to bring light to that song. And now, you know, it was one of Lolo's most popular songs right when that season was going. Um, and that's just like, you know, everyone loves Euphoria. So that was a huge, a huge platform and like, you know, stamp of approval on Lolo's music. That, that that's dope, man. Do do you think um, uh, looking back on it now, um, 
that came out in December 2019, right? A few months before everything shut down. Do you think, are you still, well, let me, I'm trying to figure out how I want to ask the question. I guess, are you happy? Do you still wish you ultimately had it come out at the exact same time that it dropped? Do you think you lost a little bit there or are you like, yes. oh, it worked perfectly? Yes. Yeah. I wish that I came out, you know, but it didn't. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, the song's kinda, out yeah, now. Yeah. Yep. You know, a great song has no expiration date. So, like, yep. people still love I mean, it and yeah, are listening and, to it. And I was going to say to, to you know, the, the, I, the, I guess the way I would look at it is that um, it also, like, just like we were talking about before, it, like, it doesn't matter. Like, going back to the rest stuff. Like, it's out. It came out when it came out. And, like, you didn't expect the bump from season two, right? So yeah. that was like, oh, hey, that's even, like, we weren't anticipating that. And look. And, you know, another example of that is Lolo's song, Brooklyn Love, which is one of the first singles mm-hmm. we ever put out in 2018. That just um, had a huge placement in the fallout on HBO, which I don't know if anyone's seen that, but, you know, that had a ton of buzz when it came out. And yep. on Shazam, you know, that song, again, that's been out since 2018, like it shot to I think number twelve and all like top U hundred US on Shazam and like in four or five different countries around the world on the Shazam charts and obviously the stream spiked from that. Um and again that's a song that came out like four years ago. Um but uh you know unless everyone in the world knows right, your music right. that's a new song to everyone that heard it and yeah. Shazam it. Yeah, just um, like we were talking about before, the majority of your fans don't know who you are yet. Yeah, right, like that's so. how you should hope. Like you, you, you want to think that way, right? Like there's yeah. still something to to, to attain to. Yeah, um, that stuff. It's like, you know, once someone reaches out, let's say about wanting to use a song, you have a contact. Right, right. So moving forward, you know, pick your points. Don't be annoying, but always, you know, send new music. Keep them in the loop with the plan, and like, be like, hey, you know, what do you think of this? Or are there any shows that? you're working on now this might be a good fit for and like who knows i think the best way to engage with people um so that you're not always um begging for something is to ask questions right so like you hit on it just there the best way hey what's up you know hope all is well just you know we're working on this new record wanted to shoot it your way like here's your thoughts like do you like this like it's not out yet that way they're kind of like, oh, yeah, like you're just staying top of mind. Or things that I love, super duper um, underestimated to just on that point for a second is like wishing people a happy birthday. Ooh. Basic question. Hey, what's you, like, <laughs> like, that's in my, my final notes when we hop off the call. I got to get your birthday too. But to everybody out there, like get people's birthdays, put it in your contacts and reach out to people on their birthday. Like no Facebook, no like, you know, right. and it, it, the, the personal touch of like reaching out to somebody to say happy birthday, I think is, is, uh, you know, kind of just a lost art. And, and again, it's these additional touch points. You could say that you could say happy holidays. You say, you know, whatever things popping up, that's how you can stay in touch with people without like, you're just like, yo, what's up? That's it. Hey, just, just want to say thank Also like, you know, just quickly as a musician, whether you're signed to a label or not, like, you know, people are always talking about how it's hard to make money on streaming or just on your song revenue. Like brand partnerships and syncs are just like a huge revenue stream 
um, to make sure you're good if you're not like streaming 20 million a month or something like that. So one thing also was like this Dua Lipa tour, knowing that Lola was going to be in these cities playing these awesome shows, everyone loves Dua Lipa, reaching out to all these people and inviting them to shows. And whether that's for the Dua show or for Lola's headline stuff, like people love free tickets, people love free stuff. Exactly. so making sure that like, one, you keep that relationship alive, but also like giving them something to enjoy and an experience and like being like, Hey, thank you for this. Yeah. Just come see the show. Um, and then, yeah, we, we, we talked about this before. It's like, it comes down to just being a, a nice person. You know what I mean? And, and always asking like, or, and always trying to think of like, you treat people the way you want to be treated. Like, wouldn't you want that same kind of like respect and just trying to build relationships? And and so, yeah, for those listening that are just starting out, like if you're trying to be a manager or an artist, just try to think of ways that you can be in service to people, help people out, build relationships. And just do, like, who doesn't want, like, the, the, the ticket thing is like, who doesn't want to be Santa Claus? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's awesome. You get to just like the give gift people. gift of giving. That's like amazing, you know? And and that stuff is, is contagious, you know? You just keep like, people in the loop. Yep. Yeah, I think that, you know, again, the the big thing that we wanted to talk about today was how to develop artist careers outside of music. And, you know, we talked on, you know, some specific ways with with, you know, fashion and and kind of brand partnerships um, and and also the licensing piece. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of what we've been talking about really hinges on building great relationships with people. Right. Um, Because at the end of the day, that's, um, you know, what you're ultimately doing. And. You, you, you talked about it before, too. I think you never know where people are going to end up. You know, they could be in one position at one company now, and then they could jump to something else and, you know, adjacent field, but still kind of support what you do. That's why it's important to build a relationship with the person and not necessarily the brand. And, you know, just finding those ways to, to show up and be helpful and add value is is um, one of the biggest lessons I think I've learned probably over the last 10 years, like, like you just kind of have those moments where when you're younger, you're asking for stuff and it doesn't work. And then you're like, yeah. oh, why, why isn't this working? And then you're like, Oh, it's me. <laughs> I'm asking the wrong question. Got it. Okay. I'm, I'm in it for the wrong reasons. Okay. Got it. And so I think, yeah, it's important. You were talking about journaling before too. It was like, it's important to step back and like, make sure you self-assess and be like, okay, where can I get better? How can I help this? You know, uh, how can I help my artists? How can I help my career? Like, what, what do I need to do? Right. Right, definitely. Um, well, well, yeah, man. Uh, really appreciate the time. We're coming down to it. For those uh, who came through, really appreciate you, you, you sticking around. Uh, we'd love to do a little Q and A. So, if anybody has any questions in the next couple of minutes, feel free to you know kind of raise your hand. We'll, we'll bring you up to the stage to to chop it up with us. Um, but uh, Doug had a couple of, of final questions for you too. Um, uh, curious to know what you're reading lately uh, that's kind of blown your mind or changed your perspective. So, either reading. Uh, listening to, watching, what was something that kind of like really shifted your mindset, your mood, just just in general? Twitter. <laughs> I was gonna say you can't say euphoria, but <laughs> Twitter. Twitter. I read yeah. Twitter. You know, I think it's kind of a joke, but also like I just think it's the best platform. Yeah. Um, it's the most direct platform, and there's so much knowledge on there. You have to sift through like what's bullshit, but. Um, so how do you do that? Just over time, curating, you know, who I follow, um, mm-hmm. 
trusted sources, who my friends follow or retweet and whatnot. Um, I just think are that's... You, are you big on lists? No. Mm. No. Yeah, I used to be. <laughs> the reason I ask that is because I used to be. Like, years ago, I was, like, on it. And then yeah, I kind of fell off it. But over the last, like, six weeks, I've started to, like, create different lists again, being like, oh. Because to your point, it is about, like, how do you weed out kind of the bullshit and the things that are wasting your time? And and um, that's hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> so the list is the tool. That, that's I, how you do I it. Want and, to get, I want to get back into more, you know, traditional reading, as you yeah, would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just, like, I haven't. Yo, I'm thinking of starting this other idea yeah. that we've been kicking around is we want to get a book club going, like yeah, where we can be out. like, <laughs> <laughs> where so. we meet like I don't want to do like once a week. I feel like that's a little too much. I feel like once a month, like we should yeah. be able to read at least one book a month. You know, yeah. what I'm, uh, I'm pushing myself for that too. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah no, I, I just I think Twitter is the best place in the world for knowledge, for humor, for also like what is next up what people are listening to like short clips music videos just conversation around music if that's what you're into or anything um you know there's just like there's a lot of a lot of hot takes on there that um i think you never know it could be could be useful i enjoy yep. it yeah well said um and then want to get you out of here on this final one uh you know what's what's kind of the most interesting project that you're working on right now in and why is that the case lz2 lolo's second album you know amongst others um but lola specific you know this next album has been like a crazy experience and like you know people loved her debut ha has to lolo's and this next one, you know, I can't say too much about it right now, but like, you know, it's been years in the making. Um, it's changed shapes and forms so many times. Um, we've gotten it to a point where there's like a very clear creative vision to it. The music is incredible. Um, and it's the first time that, you know, when we put out her first album, we signed a deal three weeks before it came out. So there wasn't this like sit down, there wasn't like everyone's on board with the creative and the rollout and we're all throwing ideas. Like it was like, here's the music. This is when we want it out. Here's the videos and the tour is starting next week. Like, are we doing the deal or not? Um, and this one is like, she's been in the system for a few years. This is now the follow-up. Um, we have a date and it's like, how do we just make sure that this is the most epic experience for Lolo's fans and listeners and like, you know, elevating from the, that first phase, which was how I Lolo. It's like, what does this next project look like? So that, you know, it's my first time really sitting down and thinking through an album and like having a runway and being like, what's the plan and what's the vision? so can't wait for that to come out i think it's gonna be you know career shifting um so yeah that's awesome that. I, I, I love that i love to hear like i can tell um you know and i can hear the excitement in your voice 
about the opportunity to like live up to that to that hype and and succeed it both like your own internal hype you know what i mean and you know the the response from the fans and and the label and and just like you said now you kind of have the team uh that's there that's like okay we're able to like hit the ground running with the real with the support you need right because you know it, it is it's so hard to cut through the noise um with, with everything going on these days so so yeah man that, that I, I love to hear that it's awesome um well yeah uh, what's that stay tuned yeah exactly new music coming soon yeah man yeah yeah we'll, we'll definitely have to do uh a round two here when uh when things come out for sure man um oh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, really appreciate you coming through. Um, and, and yeah, we'd love to do a little Q&A here at the end if anybody has questions. So uh, feel free to, um, you know, raise your hand. We'll definitely, you know, happy to bring you guys up, ask any questions for myself or Doug. Um, but, uh, but yeah, while we're kind of waiting for people to, to come up. Um, I'm looking curious. out the list. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like my family. <laughs> I love it. What do we have? Okay, so for those that don't know how to do it, if you're looking at your screen, you hit the little heart button. There's a little, you know, some emojis there. There's like a raise your hand one. So happy to happy to answer any questions if you guys have them. Um, if not, all good. We're here every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Uh, Monday Morning Manager is the name of the podcast. And uh, yeah, our goal is to just bring you some how-to insights and resources, uh, you know, so that you can build your own career as well. We're teaching you how to fish here. We're not doing the fishing for you. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, what, one final question for you, Doug. You mentioned, um, you know, working or you know, the, the Lola stuff is the main focus right now. Curious to know what you, you know, what, what are some of your other passions that you're working on, that, you know, that, that are interesting or exciting to you right now? Well, Kid Super, obviously, first and foremost, um, just everything going on in that world, that universe is super exciting. Um, a lot coming out, so you will see, but like that bridge of creativity, media, fashion, like, you know, I feel like that's kind of the umbrella under which, you know, I think of everything. Um, and just that, like, you know, way of just having an idea and then wanting to actually make it. Um, so there's that. And then, you know, last year, Lola and I started um, her own kind of investment fund a bit, too. And something that I've been doing for a while, just working with startups. Um and you know starting a career as a musician is is basically a startup um being an entrepreneur um, except your product is just you know your music and your brand um so i love the cpg space consumer packaged goods and you know a few companies to shout out that i've i'm working with and i've worked with for a while um amazing new drink called zuzu z-u-z-u um that's now in new york LA and I believe launching in Seattle soon. It's like kind of a bottled uh, cocktail. Um, Talago hard seltzer, which is great out of LA as well. Lolo and I invested in that. And then one more to shout out would be Bonza. Um, chickpea pasta, rice, pizza. Um, I've you know been part of the Bonza fam since 2015. They're killing it. Um, so, you know, they don't need my plug at this point, but, <laughs> but shout out, shout out Bonza. Yo, um, I, I well. love it. 
I love it. We'll have to get ne- next time around. We'll have to make sure that we're eating some slices, or we'll do a live oh, version. Yeah. Eat some slices. We gotta send you some boxes. Some cascatelli, yeah. a new a new shape. I'm all about it. I love it. I love it. Well, hey, man, uh, again, really appreciate you taking the time, man. I'm, I'm glad we were able to, to connect and, and have this conversation. Shout out to Max for, for uh, you know, setting all this up. And shout out shout to Andrew for helping on this, too. For West um, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you guys are neighbors, man. You guys are neighbors. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, man, super excited to, to uh, you know, have you back in the future, man, hear, hear about all the, you know, how well everything comes out on the back end. Yeah, let's check in after this uh, Lolo Arena tour. Definitely, man. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, um, appreciate everybody for tuning in. And um, yeah, if you, if you guys are looking for any more information on us, hit the link in our bio. Um, happy to chop it up. Shoot, chop it up with you guys. Shoot us a DM if you have any questions. And again, we're here every Monday morning at 11 a.m. for the Monday Morning Management Podcast. If we don't talk to you before then, we'll see you then. And remember, tell a friend, tell a friend. All right. All right. All right. We'll talk Thank to you guys you. later. No doubt, man. Thank you. Peace. For more information on Studio Talk, visit us at studiotalk.co or on all social platforms at Studio Talk Co. At Studio Talk C O.